Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and... Boy, I can't believe we're coming towards the end of September already. The year is really flying by. We're entering into a beautiful season, of course. All the seasons are beautiful in their own way. We are, of course, in the season of autumn, getting into the season of autumn. Colors already changing. And pretty soon, before we know it, we'll be entering that preparation time for the coming of our Lord Jesus in the flesh, known as Advent, or in the Eastern churches, Philip's Fast. But we're still a little ways away from that, but we are steaming towards that. But in the meantime, as we move along through this month of September and look at the beginning of October, we've got a couple of interesting saints this week in the calendar of the Byzantine Catholic Church and also an interesting feast day, which is coming up on Saturday, October 1st. That feast day is called the Protection of the Mother of God. We'll be talking about that in just a moment here, but just a little bit about a couple of saints. I want to read to you some stories of two saints in our Byzantine calendar this week, and I'm going to read from a book called the Synaxarian. Synaxis, that word synaxis, it's a Greek word which means a kind of a gathering. In other words, there is a volume of books called the Synaxarian. It could be in one big book, or I, have it, I happen to have it in a four-volume set. And I actually highly recommend it for families, for households, because what it is is a set of books that has for each day the saints that, that are commemorated on that day and their life story, and also some very, very interesting meditations by the author and things related to the feast day, like scripture passages and so on. So it's one of those great things to read, either parts of them or, or the whole part for that day. Great thing to read around the family dinner table, assuming that everybody does, in fact, have dinner, which I understand is getting more and more rare these days for families to actually gather together for at least one meal a day. I highly recommend that. I always tell families, especially when I do some counseling of families or marriage counseling, I always ask people, do you have 
at least one time when the two of you as husband and wife, or if you have children, your whole family, gather together around one meal, at least one a day. And during that meal, a good thing to do is this. Do something that comes from our monastic tradition, especially in the Eastern Church. Have a little bit of silence and have somebody read from a good spiritual book or, of course, obviously, the Bible, the Word of God, and then have a couple moments of comment on that, a little reflection on it. And one of the books that I recommend is this very book I'm talking about, this Synaxarian. In the Eastern churches, it's a custom to read the life of the saint during the morning prayer service, which is called the Matin service. Now, at my parish, pastorally, I often do it not only during Matins, but on Sundays, primarily I do it in between Matins and the Divine Liturgy as people are coming in, so that they hear a little something about the saint that is being commemorated that day. There's always at least one or several saints on our liturgical calendar each day of the year, just as there is, for the most part, in the Latin rite. Oftentimes we have several saints, but one of them always takes precedence. So this week, we've got a couple interesting stories. One story about a female saint. Her name is Euphrosina, and you're going to hear some pretty big, <laughs> pretty big names today in our, our readings from the Synaxarian. I want to read this to you because there's an interesting little twist to her story, a twist that we oftentimes do hear, actually, in the Eastern traditions, especially in the monastic tradition. So here's the story of Holy Mother Euphrosina, and her feast day is September 25th, which, of course, is today. The Synaxarian says this, The daughter of a rich and eminent man, that's Euphrosina, Paphnusius, that's her father, from Alexandria, she was besought of God by her childless parents who brought their daughter up in the Christian faith. Now, not wishing to marry the young Euphrosina in order to hide from her father, dressed herself in men's clothing and presented herself to the abbot of a monastery as a eunuch for the emperor Theodosius with the name of Smaragdus. How's that for a name? Smaragdus. The abbot received her and placed her under the guidance of the monk Agapitus as a spiritual father. By her fasting and prayers, Smaragdus quickly outstripped the other monks in the monastery. When she had spent 38 years in strict asceticism, Paphnutius visited the monastery and the abbot placed him in Smaragdus's care for prayer and counsel. Smaragdus recognized Paphnutius, but Paphnutius did not recognize her. When her father confessed his grief for his lost daughter, Smaragdus told him not to lose hope, for he would see his daughter once again in this life, and asked him to come again in three days' time. When Paphnutius returned, Smaragdus was on her deathbed. Then the monk said to Paphnutius, I am Euphrosina, your daughter. You are my father. Her father could not for a long time collect himself for sheer astonishment. Then Euphrosina breathed her last, and her father wept over her. After burying his daughter, Paphnutius remained in the monastery and settled in the cell of his departed holy daughter. After ten years of asceticism, holy Paphnutius entered into rest in the Lord. Interesting story, isn't it? Imagine a young lady who did not want to get married, which is kind of strange to, for, by today's standards, and certainly by those standards then. But she was so devoted to Christ, she wanted to go off and serve him. In other words, Christ would be her mystical spouse, to the point where she actually disguised herself as a man. For 38 years, she got away with it. Now, this particular story, one of the interesting things about it is that in the Eastern churches, first of all, it gives you some insight in the early years of monasticism. Monasticism was largely a male phenomenon, well, not entirely. So there were more male monasteries around than female monasteries at the time. And so this idea of a woman who did not want to be married, but wanted to serve Christ, give herself over to Christ, this is not an uncommon story 
in Byzantine tradition, in the Byzantine history of monasticism, there were actually several, certainly Euphrosyne is one of them, several of these girls who went off to a male monastery, disguised themselves as a man, and lived as a monk, only to be discovered later on either by the monks themselves or sometimes, as in this story, by their parents. And oftentimes, the stories had a similar ending as this one, where the parent themselves was so moved by the experience that they would take the place or take their place up in the monastery as well. There's a number of saints that have this story, but Euphrosina is one of the more prominent ones, and we celebrate her feast day on this day in the Byzantine liturgical calendars. That's Holy Mother Euphrosina and her father Paphnutius. Great names. Also, to our Russian Orthodox brethren, and of course in the Eastern Catholic churches, we share many of the same saints as our Orthodox brethren, and also many of the same saints, obviously, of our Roman Catholic brethren. We also have different saints as well, and the saints don't always come up on the same day on each other's calendars, but our calendar is very, very close to the Orthodox calendars in terms of the saints. Well, today also is the feast day of our Holy Father Sergius of Radonezh. He was a great ascetic and light of the Russian church. In fact, a lot of Russian churches are named, and monasteries are named after Saint Sergius. He's very big in the Russian church, and so we extend our joy to our Russian Orthodox brethren today in light of the East on this feast of St. Sergius. He was a great ascetic in light of the Russian church. He was born in 1313 AD in Rostov of devout parents, Kirill and Maria. After the death of his parents, Bartholomew, for that was his baptismal name, became a monk and founded the community of the Holy Trinity in the forest of Rodenej. A gentle and meek servant of God, occupied only with labor and prayer, he was made worthy of the gifts of wonder-working for the purity of his heart raising the dead in the name of Christ. The Holy Mother of God appeared to him a number of times. Princes and bishops came to him for counsel, and he gave his blessing to Prince Dmitri of the Don and foretold his victory in Russia's war of liberation against the Tartars. He had insight into men's hearts and into distant events. His community became filled with monks during his lifetime and has served through the ages as one of the chief centers of spiritual life and of God's miracles. St. Sergius entered into rest in 1392, and after his death, he appeared a number of times to various people. You know, this idea of appearing, whether it's the mother of God, or angels, or other saints, or saints appearing to other people, is another interesting little subject in the Eastern Christian spirituality. In the West, it is very common to talk about apparitions, where an individual person sees, for instance, the mother of God, or some miracle like that, and tries to communicate that vision to others. And the church then, over time, has to look at those visions and see if they are considered by the church to be credible. And always the church looks at these things, east and west, as, well, they are what they are. They're perhaps helps to our faith, but they do not replace dogma. They do not replace our faith. They're, in a sense, supports of them, kind of like maybe booster shots or reminders and so on. Now, in the Eastern church, it's Usually the practice where apparitions or visions are considered to be acceptable or valid, as it were, when they occur in such a way that many can see them. Not, maybe not everyone, but many can see them. In other words, the Eastern churches are kind of shy about what they call personal revelation or personal visions. We do have stories of that from time to time, but generally in the East, these apparitions or visions are not considered to be too credible unless they can be seen by more than one. In other words, by, by many, that they're apparent to many. That's just one of the differences between East and West, and that's, of course, part of what we do in this program, presenting the differences in terms of their various gifts 
And so we'd like you to stay with us here as we continue to talk about the gifts of the Eastern churches. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Yo, Father Loya wants you to come out and sock hop to the fabulous Neverly Brothers at the Joliet Moose Lodge. And they play everything from Chuck Berry to the Beatles. Hey, I'm talking to you. Not only can you dance, but you can have a sumptuous dinner buffet. Then challenge your memory at the trivia contest and take a chance on a 50-50 raffle. This great time is a fundraiser for Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Get that grill cream and head out to the Joliet Moose Lodge at 25 Springfield Avenue in Joliet. Saturday night, November 12th. Saturday night, November 12th at 6.30. Tickets at the door or on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. ByzantineCatholic.com for a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Saturday night, November 12th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Father Thomas Loya invites you to a special Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, November 13th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, where you'll hear the Ecclesia Choir sing the Byzantine Funeral Rite, sung with melodies from the Carpatho Rusin tradition, and one newly composed Zvat Sanctus, but harmonized with both Eastern and Western sensibilities in mind. The entire work will be sung unaccompanied. The harmonization is by Ecclesia Director Timothy Woods. For ticket information, go to LincolnChamberProductions.org. LincolnChamberProductions.org. For the Ecclesia Choir Concert of the Byzantine Catholic Funeral Rite at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, at 3 p.m. Sunday, November 13th. Welcome back to our program, Light of the East. I'm your host, Father Thomas Loya. Thank you for listening in and like to say hello, as always, especially to all of you who are listening out in the, the West Coast area, California, because we've got a lot, of, a lot of good, enthusiastic listeners out there. I just want to say hello to let you know how much I appreciate you listening in. And also all of your letters, any of your kind letters or remarks, or whatever you want to tell us, you want to email me at my, my own personal Email, that's fine. It's Father Thomas Loya at AOL.com. That's Father spelled out, Father Thomas Loya at AOL.com. Or you can send us a letter. The address can be found on our website, ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. We've got one more saint this week, Holy Father Chariton, the Confessor. Now, he was an eminent and devout citizen of the city of Iconium, imbued with the spirit of his compatriot, Saint Thecla. Now, Saint Thecla, by the way, is referred to in the Eastern churches as, quote unquote, equal to the apostles. Now, if she was a female saint, that gives you a little insight into how the Eastern churches can look at womanhood. Sometimes that's asked of me, well, 
what's the Eastern Church's stand on womanhood, on women and women's rights and women's issues and so on like that? Well, one of my answers is, well, we give some women such titles as equal to the apostles. So we are very respectful of women, obviously, in the Eastern Churches. Anyway, that's St. Thecla. But Cheriton openly confessed the name of Christ. And when a harsh persecution of Christians broke out under the Emperor Aurelian, Cheriton was immediately brought to trial before the governor. The judge ordered him to worship false gods, to which Cheriton replied, All your gods are furies, which were before time through pride cast out from heaven into the nethermost hell. Cheriton openly showed his faith in the one living God, the creator of all, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind. But then the governor ordered that Cheriton be so beaten and tortured that his whole body became covered with wounds until it was like one great wound. After the evil death of Aurelian, whose evil doing caught up with him in the end, Cheriton was released from torture and imprisonment. He traveled to Jerusalem, but on the way was seized by robbers from whom he was freed by God's providences. He did not return to Iconium, but withdrew to the wilderness of Pharaon, where he founded a community and gathered a group of monks together. Having given a rule to his community and desiring to escape the praise of men, he withdrew to another desert near Jericho, where in time he founded another community called after him. He finally founded another community, Sukha, called in the Greek the Old Lavra, he died at a great age and entered into the glory of his Lord on September 28, 350 A.D., and his relics are preserved in his first monastery. In fact, the practice of tantering monks is attributed to St. Cheriton. St. Cheriton started this custom of tantering monks. If you know what that is, uh, tantering means to basically cut the hair of a monk when he receives the monastic habit. And in fact, tantering has been preserved in the certainly in the Eastern churches, for the ordination, not only monastics, but the ordination of men to the priesthood. In fact, I was tonsured, where the, you actually kneel before the bishop, and he takes a lock of your hair, and he snips it off with the scissors. And I guess you can keep that, I suppose, probably keep it in your Bible, your prayer book or something, or give it to somebody. And along with tonsure, that usually happens around the time when a young man is going to be ordained to the lectorate. And from there, he goes on to the subdiaconate, to the diaconate, and then the priesthood. That's the ordination route that you take in route to priesthood from being a layperson to priesthood. But it begins actually with tonsure. So the Eastern churches have preserved the custom of tonsure, even if you're not going to be a monastic. But primarily it is a monastic custom. And it has to do with the sense of being consecrated, which means being cut away. That is, so the, the bishop actually cuts the hair of a nun or of a monk, a lock of the hair or however much he wants. And that is symbolic of the fact that he is cut apart for this very, very special life of asceticism and holiness. He or she, rather, actually, because nuns, as I mentioned, get their hair cut as well. In fact, I just had a nun friend of mine and go through the tantra ceremony. She has very thick hair, and it was all bunched up in the, in the habit. And when she took her habit off, all this hair came cascading down her shoulders. And then the bishop took a big chunk out of that hair. <laughs> but that's part of the whole symbol of it, that in monasticism, you die to yourself, you die to all that emphasis or concern on the physicality. In fact, it's interesting that in between the Eastern and Western churches, monasticism often shows itself in terms of removing hair or shaving the head. Oftentimes you'll see monks, especially in the what you might call stricter orders, the stricter monasteries, you'll see oftentimes those monks with very, very short hair, sometimes with beards, sometimes not, but they'll oftentimes have long beards but very short hair or even shaved heads. In the East, it's the opposite. The monks are usually very hairy. It's actually, once again, another great example of the East and West arriving at the same point, but coming from two complementary ways. In the West, the symbol of dying away, 
of not being focused and fussing on the physical and the here and now, but living just for Christ and for the, the next life. That is symbolized by the monk actually having a lot of, maybe I could call it a de-emphasis of the hair on his head. In the East, what they do is they just kind of let it go. In other words, you just don't pay attention, just don't bother it. You always know it's an Eastern monk if they have very long hair and very long beards. Oftentimes you see that in the icons as well. That's part of the reason. It's kind of fun too when you see a lot of these monks, they wear these hats in Eastern churches and all this hair sticking out from the hat. Sometimes they bunch it up in their hats too as well, almost like a little bun or ponytail. I've seen that as well. But a lot of times you just kind of let it go and let the beards go. And it's a lot of fun to see these kinds of monastic appearances in in the icons, the great icons of of the great aesthetical saints, like, for instance, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert. Long white beard, lots of hair, you know, big thick eyebrows. (laughs) So it's just kind of a, basically the motto would be something like, thou shalt not fuss, because you're concerned not so much with the passing body, but with the presence of Christ and of the life beyond. And so the West, they kind of remove it, In the East, they just kind of ignore it and let it go. We have something else coming up this week that is very characteristic of the Eastern Church's liturgical calendar. It happens October 1st, which will be Saturday of this week, and that is called the Protection of the Mother of God, the Feast of the Protection of the Mother of God. Now, this feast has an interesting history to it. In fact, there's two stories, and they basically have the same point to them, but basically it's two a little bit different legends as to the origins of this feast. Basically, it had to do with the mother of God appearing over a church. So what happened was, there was, in, in the one story, it goes like this. During the reign of Constantine VII in the 10th century, the Saracens were trying to take Constantinople and had begun the decisive battle. The terror-stricken people gathered in various churches of the city to pray. In the Blachonet Church near Constantinople, which of course is today modern-day Turkey, during the night, services were prayed, and the faithful were imploring the mother of God for her help against their enemies. But in the church was a man named St. Andrew, who became known as St. Andrew the Fool for Christ's sake, and his disciple St. Epiphanius. Now they both saw the mother of God appear in a cloud and pray with outstretched hands together with the people. Then at the close of her prayers, the mother of God removed her veil, which we call an omophorian. She removed the veil from her head and held it over the faithful as a sign of her unfailing protection. And the next day, the city was freed from danger. Now, there's another little twist to that story happening about the same century, well, to the same time, the same century. And this time, the story goes like this. During the reign of Emperor Leo the Wise in 903 AD, when a dreadful epidemic afflicted Constantinople, killing great numbers of people, the faithful prayed in their churches, imploring God to be merciful and called on the help of the Mother of God. It was at this time that she appeared, holding her veil over the people. From that hour, plague ceased in the city. So, whichever story you want to accept. Now, the more predominant one, the more popular one between the two is the one where we have St. Andrew and Epiphanius seeing the image of the Mother of God there in the church. But whichever one you want to believe is always behind these stories and legends and traditions, and they do change over time, some of their details, but as always, there's a point to them. There's a message. And that message is the fact that when we cry out to Mother of God, she is our protective mother. And in ways that are maybe individual to us, in other words, in our own lives personally, but also to the church or for a nation. And this is why we ought to cry out for her as children. And in fact, the services in the church, some of the prayers of the, in the Byzantine church for this feast day, they talk about that. They talk about 
Protected by your coming, O Mother of God, well-believing people solemnly celebrate today and gazing upon your immaculate image, they humbly say, Watch over us with your noble protection. Deliver us from all evil by asking your Son, Christ our God, to save our souls. Then we also sing this. Let us, the assembled faithful, honor on this day the Immaculate Queen of all, the Virgin most pure, and the Mother of Christ our God, for she always entreatingly extends her hands to her Son. The admirable Andrew saw her in the church as she was protecting the faithful with her venerable veil. To her let us sincerely sing, Rejoice, patroness, protectress, and salvation of our souls. They can see once again in those prayers, so characteristic of the Eastern churches, that what we sing is our theology, our chant is our prayer, and our prayer is full of text and verses which give the historical context, but more so the theological context and how that is relevant to us even today. So let us, in fact, pray, improve, or begin to develop our devotion to Mother of God in terms of asking for her help. In this day and age, we certainly need it. We need it for our nation, for the world, for families, for marriage, for religious vocations, and for ourselves personally. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again for the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>